Hello everyone, welcome to the Got A Case of Wanderlust podcast, a show dedicated to all things travel. I'm your host Lydia, and on this episode, you'll hear a conversation between me and another fellow traveler that will hopefully inspire you for your next travel adventure. If you enjoy listening, consider following the show and giving it a rating on Spotify, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. It would mean so much to me. All right, thank you so much for being here today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the God of Case of Wanderlust podcast. I'm here with a super special guest today. His name is Antonio Gutierrez. He's from Granada, Spain, and he helps run the regenerative educational program called Soleil, which is an organization that um, runs study abroad programs and educational services for topics of sustainability for students. I had the privilege of participating on one of his programs um, with his friend Arturo in Cuba this spring, which was an absolute life-changing experience. So I'm so honored that Antonio has extended his time today to be a guest. So welcome to the podcast, Antonio. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yes, we've been trying to do this for a while now, so I'm super excited to dive back into our conversations about Cuba and um, all the important topics we discussed there. This sounds, uh, this sounds great, Lydia. Just lead on. Uh, where do you want to start? So what sparked your wanderlust for traveling? Why, why is travel uh, meaningful? For me, uh, I guess it's a learning part of it. And, and there is a million ways in which this can happen. Um, it's the cultural learning for sure. It's the personal growth with all the things that uh, both culturally and personally I've been able to find while traveling. And it's the professional part, uh, you know, just by putting yourself out there and in situations you would not have at home. And that allows you to become, you know, for me, was an agricultural and a diver and, you know, so many other uh, things that I wouldn't have done in Granada and that traveling just um, allowed me to do and gain this confidence and and uh, gain these skills. And I think this is really, really valuable. Hmm. Yeah, totally agree with that. I have the same perception about travel. So for you personally, what do you think travel has um, influenced you the most? in? like, if it weren't for travel, who do you think you would be? Oof, hard question, Lydia. I have no idea who would be. Uh, at a point, I even started traveling as a way to heal myself. Uh, psychologically, I was in a very, very difficult spot. So I have no idea who I would be without, without this. But at the same time, um, I think that probably the most valuable um, thing that, that travel gave me was perspective, for sure. Um, I left home like so many other um, really, really privileged kids from from the West, you know, from Europe, from the US, Australia, Canada, um, feeling that I knew much more than it turns out I knew, uh, feeling that my reality was the reality. And then when you get out there and you see all these people humble people, people sometimes with no education, people with no pretensions, uh, people that that think and that 
and that really don't aspire or have these great ambitions as we have sometimes in the West. And you see how many incredible keys and how many uh, incredible lessons they have for you. This was very humbling for me. And after this first lessons, it was just looking for those for those growth opportunities. It was just looking for those things that anyone, no matter their education or their background could give you just because they have been living a different reality to yours and it's helping you um, expand your your perspective and it's helping you see a wider picture about the world. Yeah, no, that's a wonderful answer. I think the perspectives that get transformed when we travel are some of the most important parts about why we should explore and get out of our comfort zones. So it's also important to consider how to immerse ourselves in those kinds of experiences in order for our perspective to change. And we had lengthy discussions in Cuba about what it means to be a tourist versus a traveler. So I'd like to talk about that a bit. Um, Can you explain the difference between a tourist versus a traveler in one sentence? Um, Yes, for us, a tourist is that one who travels comfortably and takes their home wherever they go and their rules wherever they go. A traveler is the one who has the flexibility to adapt and and the hunger to learn wherever they go and tries to adapt um, to every culture they are navigating and tries to gain the best out of them and has this humble approach that we were discussing before um, to to see whatever reality they are exploring as as a new opportunity and and a new world that they know nothing about. Hmm. Yeah, so discomfort's a big part of the traveler's experience. Um, How can we lean more into the discomfort when we travel? Because it's not easy, um, but why is it valuable? Yes, uh, absolutely. Discomfort is one of the key um, aspects of these... uh, of these experiences, I think. Um, and, and I think it's a big part because traveling comfortably normally means more expense for once, but also it means a more structured trip, a more controlled trip, a more, uh, again, Western-centric trip. You're going to go to hotels that have the Western standard and you're going to go with bus that have the Western standard. And you're not going to Africa or to Southeast Asia looking for those comfortable things that that you can find at home. I mean, it is important because it's making you live closer to what the people, to how the people live in the place that you're visiting. And uh, and sure, it is it is uncomfortable. It is. Uh, it is difficult at times. It's scary at times too, because depending on how much experience you have while traveling, uh, the first time you see yourself stranded in a in a in a secondary road in the middle of nowhere with no idea where the bus is or if there is a bus or how can I hitchhike or what kind of people are here. This is this is really scary. But again, this is one other part that can be identified with discomfort you do this because you are proving yourself that you can do it and you are you're 
growing your confidence, you are risking yourself and putting yourself out there. And this is what's going to allow incredible experiences and incredible people to cross your way. I'm not saying you should have a complete disregard for safety. Definitely not. One of these, um, one of the, the first things you need to take into account when you arrive in a place where you don't know how the rules are and you don't know what could happen is ask. Just like with everything else, like, should I move out of this neighborhood at night? And there will be a lot of places where you just adapt to how the people live there. And no, you shouldn't be out there after sunset, even though you want to go partying. You will go partying in your next stop, not here. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't let this crazy happen things, I mean, if this crazy things happen to you or this uh, things that involve a little risk, you know, a little exposure happen to you, you're going to miss so many opportunities to meet wonderful people and have wonderful things happen to you that would not happen to you back home. So was there, have you always tried to be more of a traveler than a tourist? Or was there a specific experience or trip that really made you realize the importance or made you want to change how you traveled? I think it was something gradual for me. Uh, I know I did a lot of traveling and a lot of touristing when I was young. Uh, my mom is an incredible adventurer, but she has also this uh, little bit of a rich mentality. She likes her fancy hotels and fancy meals. And this is something that I did a lot while I was growing up. And then at a certain point, I started having this... Um, this empathy towards the people that I was living in. And I was saying, okay, so I am actually crossing the whole of the Atlantic and now I cannot spend a day with them. So at the beginning, it was little by little. Let me, let me see how they live. Let's just spend one night. Let's share a meal. Okay, I'll put the food because they can't afford it, but then they'll let me stay at home. And in Cuba and, and in Southeast Asia, especially, I had in this few first trips, such incredible opportunities when I just took a leap that I wouldn't have taken before because I was scared. And and I had such incredible anecdotes that I could come back home and it wasn't only to brag with my group of people, which of course there was a lot of bragging because I was a young and, and you know, uh, I had a big ego and I still have a, a big ego in a lot of senses. Um, but it wasn't only... The, the, the anecdotes, it was anecdotes that actually came with reflections and came with lessons. And, and for me, it was so shocking when I saw this, this man who lived in a tiny hut with, her, with his mom. And, and he was literally, uh, uh, I don't know, six feet by six feet and two of them were living there. And then there was this rainstorm while we were having dinner and, and he took us in and we all squeezed however that could happen. And and we all slept there. And for me, the generosity and the hospitality was so breathtaking that I, it actually makes you reevaluate a lot of what you believe in. And I think this happened little by little. Um, it was always also a, a very big shock for me when, when I, I, I went down to Morocco with, with no borders to, to work as an activist in the Southern frontier, meeting the, the sub-Saharan migrants and, and seeing their lives and, and their opportunities. It just didn't allow me to keep ignoring the fact that some of my problems were 
first world problems, you know, and that I, I should cultivate the capacity to reevaluate and, and, and take a step back to see, okay, I mean, this is causing me anxiety or fear or shame or, but if you go to the grand scheme of things, I'm a tiny part uh, in a huge system, in a huge world with billions of people living and my problems, you know, they just can't compare with how many millions of people are hungry and, and are thirsty and, and are scared, like really scared, like, like dangerously scared every day. I think it does do a lot to your perspective. Yeah, those are beautiful experiences and a really wonderful mindset because it is really important to reframe your own experience and take yourself out of the the small instance that you're really in and look at the big picture. Um, why is it more important to be a mindful traveler, especially when visiting destinations like Cuba? Um, okay, so we need to we need to be conscious of one thing, and this is something that I still struggle a lot with, which is me as a traveler personally and as the sort of work I do, I am an active contributor to climate change. I mean, we are in a deep, dangerous, and scary climate crisis. Uh, I think more and more people are understanding this, but um, but there's still a lot of lack of awareness. There's still a lot of, you know, yeah, this is happening, but what can I do? And there's a lot of resistance to this. And the first thing you need to know, and, and we need to know and understand, is that we are contributing by, to, to this. I mean, traveling by plane is is very, very, it has a very high carbon footprint. So we are actually part of the problem, which I think also it's a humbling thing, and we should take it as it is. But it means that once you're there, um, if you're conscious of it, of this, what do you want to contribute to? Do you want to be the sort of generous traveler that helps the people that meets, that tries to go for deep relationships, relationships that may end up in 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 uh, both parts helping each other, in both parts growing, and in you trying to find out the way to contribute, to try to compensate for what it is that that you are doing just by being here, um, and then again having that that. Um, conception that there's a lot to learn and that you will teach whatever the other people want to learn, you know, but for, for me, it's learning. And for me, it's trying to get back. So sure. I mean, uh, you will always find people who are, who are trying to cheat you out of your money or that are trying to, um, to overprice everything in a crazy manner, but you will find so many, generous people and so many people trying to make a living and when you find that sure i'll give you not one more dollar i'll give you 10 more dollars because for me 10 more dollars is half an hour of work in the states probably like like 10 or 20 minutes of work and for them it's two days of living and and this i think it's it's something that allows you to um again, put into perspective what it is and, and reevaluate your privileges, which is that something that I think we desperately need to do in the West because it is not our fault, our fault, as in our generation's fault that we are where we are. 
but we are definitely responsible. And, and it is us definitely that have the most to contribute and to help to revert things because we are the ones that have the possibilities. My friend, my friends uh, from Cameroon, from Senegal, stranded in Morocco, they have no possibilities. No one listens to them. They have no access to jobs or education. They have, they have surviving lives. And for us, surviving is easy. It's comparatively easier than it is for most of the world. So we do have some time left and we can contribute. We can uh, provide service and we can help out uh, wherever we can. Um, doesn't mean we should go with this attitude that you know we are saviors and we are we are here to to change the world and oh my god we're so great it's not that we are so great is that we are taking into account our our historical and 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 purely uh casuistic uh role we were born here but this means that we have it all and there's a lot of people that that have nothing or have very little and this is because we need to maintain the system in which we can have anything we want. Um, and I think this is, this is something important to keep in mind when you are traveling, especially when you are facing those realities with your own eyes. Yeah, I think you touch on some very important points. Um, one, I think, connects to privilege. Um, this was a big topic, I think, in Cuba, especially because I personally felt super guilty at first about the privileges that I had compared to what I witnessed in Cuba, just economically and um, just in in our society in the U.S., we have completely different lifestyles. So at first, it was easy to feel guilt for having like, you know, such um, what we would call more advantages, I guess. But I think it's important to keep in mind like it's not our fault that we have these kind of privileges, but it is our responsibility to use our privileges um, to try to benefit these places and um, our communities as much as possible. Um, and especially, I think, in places like Cuba, you touched on because our impacts are far more significant in these developing um, destinations just because of how dependent their economies are on tourism. How can we engage in more experiences than as travelers, not as tourists, um, even in popular destinations? This is a hard thing to do, Lydia, um, because the main, or at least from my experience, the main um, the main we call, in, in biology, there's this thing we call uh, Factor limitante, which is the, the factor that is found in, in lesser quantity. So limiting factor, that's a name. Um, and, and I think the most important part and, and way in which you can really make a difference and, and really engage and really learn and really create those uh, meaningful relationships is with time, which is what we lack most uh, in the Western uh, system. I mean, it has to be always work and there's always the connection and there's always the social media, the telephone. There's, you have so many things you're late for every day that taking out three months of your life to spend there is just, it's just very, very difficult. And, and sometimes 
especially in, in popular destinations, time is key. You know, we went to Vinales. Vinales has become my second home, but it took time for this to happen. The first time I was there and I connected with, with my family, with Sindo and Nina, um, I remember that, that they would, on, on my second visit, they would say, yes, you came, you left, and we had so many promises and we wanted to see you again. And we had connected so well that we told everyone that you were coming back, that you were probably going to bring us a hammock to, to make our house a little nicer. You know what everyone said? He's never coming back. What are you talking about? You know what this is. People come, people go, people continue with their lives. So when I came back, and not only came back, but I stayed three months with them, they were so proud and they were so happy and, and they would go to everyone and said, see, we knew it, we could see it, like he was going to do something different. Uh, and the only thing I did different is give them my time, which is my most valuable resource. I had a year to travel in Latin America and I wanted to reach Colombia and starting in Cuba. And I, I visited, I met them, I went to Mexico and two or three weeks later I was back in Cuba and I stayed three months and I took half of my trip. It was just there. This allowed me to make so many friends and now I can go do some sport and I can go to the to the valley or, or to the, the farms and, and I can be an agriculture and I can be a horseback rider and I can because I have all these connections and these connections take time, especially because in popular destinations, the local community are used to seeing you come and go. So they are they're hospitable and they're nice and they but they you know they they can't really give their hearts out to everyone. So yes, time is is a big key thing. The other the other uh, thing is like I said, generosity. Just be just be generous with your with your time, with your resources. Be generous with your energy. Be generous with your with the things that are important to you. Um, people people can tell when you are giving something that you value and they value this and then whenever it's possible just get out of the grid like i said in popular destinations this is harder to do because people are used to seeing people come and go and they know and they when you say you want to travel difference and this this happens so much in Cuba. i don't know how many um how many foreigners I'd met while I was there. No, no, we wanted to do Cuba different. And I was like, yeah, the first time I was here, I wanted to do something different too. It's not going to happen. They hear this a million times every year. Unless you're the one doing things differently for them, it's going to be, okay, one more that wants to do the same, the different things. And he's doing the same things at the end of the day. Um, so get out of the grid, go to less popular places and again, for me, the most important thing is time. You need to give it time. Like anything, uh, when you start playing guitar or when you start uh, writing poetry or playing soccer or whatever it is that you're doing, it takes a learning curve. It takes time and effort uh, from you to actually become good at or, or at least fluent, you know, a language or, or any kind of skill. Um, and traveling is the same thing and, and making these deep relationships and meaningful relationships, it just takes time. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice. Um, it's important to take yourself maybe out of that 
um, experience that you have at home and just realize that you're in a different place and you have to um, experience these more, you know, local authentic experiences to get the most out of it. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the hard thing to understand is that it is not all poor Cubans. We need to help them out so they can live like us. The problem is that everyone lives like us. With 8 billion people, the world won't last 10 to 15 years. It just we can't handle it. The thing is that we can live this way because there are people who live like Cubans and way worse than Cubans. And we need to find a middle ground. And Cuba is not that far away from the middle ground. It is way closer than we are by far. I'm talking about not every family might have should have a car. And I'm talking every family, not every person, like in the U.S., that you can find one or two cars per person sometimes, which is crazy. This degrowth, that it's a word that people don't like because it just doesn't sit well with a system that just wants to grow, 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 develop, 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 progress, whatever the hell that is. Um, it just doesn't sit well with our, with our system and with a lot of the things that we have been taught but the truth is that if we want to all live together and if we have this social justice concepts, the truth is it's not just them having more, it's us having less. Definitely. I think, yeah, it's easy to feel maybe pity for um, the Cubans that we saw because um, from our perception, they had less. But just because, you know, from our reality, that kind of living would be poor in their eyes, it could be super fulfilling. And I think a lot of Cubans did find their lives super fulfilling. I mean, they were such happy people, despite, you know, what we call economic hardships. And that reminds me of what Arturo said, um, one of the other guides. He was just saying, like, it's not good or bad what we're seeing. It's just your perception. So I think just knowing that it's your point of view and not imparting your own perceptions or your own opinions on their lives because they could have a completely different opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And and not only your perception, but in, in that point, we could also um, go a little bit farther and say that we need to be very careful with good and bad as a whole. I mean, we need to develop and gain a little bit of the perspective that you may have in, in farther um in, in, in countries that are much farther east than, than we are and that they have the notion of, of yin and yang and there's so always a dark side to everything and there's always a light side to everything and sure they live hard lives sure they you remember what what andrew said cubans eat every day but cubans are hungry every day i mean this is this is a tough spot to be in for sure but these are people that, that wake up to survive and these are people that have no self-esteem problems. These are people who know that they can make and they can come out of almost everything. Um, and like you said, at the end of the day, you don't see the levels of depression, the suicides. the like. Our culture has a lot of awesome things. Like We have gained incredible, we have, we have done great leaps uh, towards gender equality, towards inclusion, towards um, social and, and working rights. Uh, some countries more than others, of course, but we we have moved and gained a lot of of great 
uh, achievements there. But on the other hand, we are selling this as progress. We're selling this. We call ourselves the first world. What the hell is that? Um, and, and we're selling this as what everyone should look for and what everyone should aspire for. And we're so good at selling this culture that actually the whole world has bought on this culture. I'm not saying everybody, but the whole world wants to be the U.S. And, and I think this is because we are completely blind to what all this comfort and towards all this consumption and all this rhythm and all this is doing to us. Because sure, there is a lot of great things, but damn, there are also very, very nasty things associated to them. You know, um, like I said, we are a generation that we have no surviving skills, that we have uh, very little emotional education, that we have a, a strong lack in communication and, and, and we're scared of difficult conversations and that inside we have so many problems. Like, like I said, the, the, all the index of, of depressions are skyrocketing, especially among the youngest ones, you know. Um, and I think we should take that into account too when we sell our culture, because I would, I, I'd say that in this case, Cubans are a much, um, at least healthier uh, society when it comes to, to psychology and, and, and mental health. That is so true. I think one of the most profound lessons I learned in Cuba is just the different lifestyles we have and how their more slow way of living is actually a lot more conducive to happiness and life satisfaction because at the expense of all of our you know, great productivity and um, technological strides in the United countries like the United States, yes, mental health levels have skyrocketed and... We're so focused on always, you know, hustling to constantly be on to the next thing and constantly be achieving that we forget to actually experience life and enjoy it. And I think that's something we could learn for sure um, from countries like Cuba. So I'd love for you to talk more about the student tour groups that you run or that you help run. So can you talk about your company, Soleil, and its mission and goals and what being a part of it means to you? Uh, okay, um, let me start introducing Thelay. Thelay is a, it's mostly a study abroad provider. Uh, we do a lot of other things. So we, I guess we'd say we're a small, um, non-formal international school. We, um, we participate in European projects. We have several local projects going on at the, at the the same time now uh, we have been working with the University of Granada with uh, the, the Granadian government Diputación de Granada with uh, uh, groups in, in rural areas and in high schools but our main main um, work and and goal and where we feel more comfortable and especially we feel more most impactful is in study abroad um, at the moment, we are running mostly short term, although we would like to to start getting longer term uh, programs. We understand that this comes it, it comes slowly and that you need to build trust with your partners first. Um, but we think 
we would be again much more impactful if we could have groups like yours for six months instead of 10 days. But yeah, what we do right now are mostly uh, short-term study abroad programs. Um, and we we have focused them. Thalé is a school that has a long trajectory. They, it was funded by my parents in 1980, 1982, so it's 41 years now that's been running. But when I took over in 2020, right before the pandemic, I already knew what I wanted to do with it. It was just after the trip that I was talking about before. I spent a year out and and for me, continue doing Spanish and culture was, of course, a must because it's what there's most market for and public for. Um, and because it was already running, it was a great program. But at the same time, I felt that the same way that, that learning Spanish and culture uh, or not learning Spanish and culture when you came to Granada or Spain would be a waste of your time because it's a perfect moment to learn language and to learn about the culture not addressing other things like this intercultural skills like this sustainability issues like this emotional education issues that we were talking about while you're outside of your comfort zone like you were saying before while you're traveling while you're seeing while you're seeing other ways of living work um it was again another waste so what we did was we built um we built four more programs um, apart from the Spanish and culture one that, that we had been running forever. This one we adapted and we included a lot of workshops that would have to do with the sustainability issues. But then we created um, four programs which I think are, are beautiful and they are very, very interesting. Let's start in Cuba because I know that you want to do that one with us as soon as we have the chance to do a, a direct enrollment program. Uh, it's called Ecological Restoration in, in Cuba. We would be staying in a little island south of the main island of Cuba. Um, and the main activities would be cleaning of the tropical forest of uninvasive species that, that, they are, um, that they're having problems with there. Um, the second one would be uh, marking and taking care of the nest of sea turtles that come out to, to nest in a, in a beach nearby, the, the town that we stay in. And the third one um, would be to learn how to dive and restore a coral reef underwater. Apart from that, we would have intercultural sessions. We would have the opportunity to mix and mingle with Cubans and, and learn a little of language too. But these are, this is the main focus. It's a very environmentally focused program, um, which doesn't mean that we're not going to talk a lot about social justice, that we're not going to talk about uh, emotional education, communication, interculturality, all these topics. They're just perfect to touch on on an afternoon. Um, while you're traveling and learning about these things. Um, okay, so the second program, which I think is probably the most powerful program that we have right now, and this one's hard, don't, don't get me wrong, I've had students um, break down and cry and, and I've taken people out for a coffee just to see how I handled it and see if that could help them. Um, it's called uh, Spain and Morocco, a migration, uh, uh, migration in Spain and Morocco, a case for social justice. And it, it shows you f both from the perspective of the uh, receiving European country, which would be Spain and Andalusia, where I'm from, 
and the uh, transit and sending country, which would be Morocco, what this whole migration um, crisis is all about. And it is incredibly rich in perspectives because you see everything from um, from the the look and the perspective and the ideas they have about this crisis in the government, in the mass media, in the academia here in Europe. But then you start going south and, and you start hearing, you know, the the NGOs, the receiving organizations, the, uh, the organizations and, and associations that help them in Morocco. And then you sit down and talk with migrants and, and, and their own associations and, and see what what the world has in store for us and just how incredibly unfair um, and, and unequal it is. And, and these are by far, I mean, Cubans' lives are easy. Like these are by far the hardest lives I've ever seen. Uh, migrants in Morocco are some of the people that that live some of the most incredible hardships that I have that I have ever experienced. Uh, and and not only that, but they try and try and try, and they take shitty boats and they try to jump the fence and they get beaten up and and they they. They die in the sea, and it is, it is a freaking mess, and it is something that is not. It's just gonna get worse because they're coming from Africa and, and sub-Saharan Africa, and as the climate crisis grows uh, more acute, more and more people are struggling to find water and with water food. So um, these people are not gonna stay and die home quietly. Like this is not gonna happen. We are gonna be the last ones to know about this climate change, but we're gonna know because they're gonna come. They need to find a place and they need to make a living. So um, I think this is a great way to gain perspective. This is the best program you can, I mean, it's the by far the best experience that I've had to, to refocus and, and repurpose my privileges. Anyway, we have another program that it's very beautiful. It's called Arts as a Lens for, for Social Transformation, and it explores uh, the role that, that uh, artistic movements and, and awesome artists have had in all the social changes that have happened in the last century in Spain. But it also explores, and, and we do practical workshops. We do photography, we do graffiti, we do flamenco, we do... Uh, a lot, lots of different things, painting, d depending on, on the group's interest. Um, but you explore and you learn and you, you improve these skills and also, you know, you explore the possibilities of art as a sensibilization tool. It explores the possibilities of art as a, as a connection tool. And, and it explores, you know, the role that art can play as a, as a, a motor for this social change. And, and again, uh, addressing who we are and how we are and, and how can we be better uh, with ourselves because that will allow us to, to help and, and to be active and to be generous and, and, uh, and contribute to, to bigger causes. And this is something that we touch on every program, but this one focuses on it and, and it's a beautiful program. That's so exciting. I'm honestly super interested in your tours because I don't know, like just this idea came to me. I don't know if like Cuba definitely inspired it by what you do, but 
I would love to run my own tour one day, especially one that emphasizes what Soleil does, like sustainability and cultural immersion and local experiences. Like, I think that's so important. And it seems like a really fun job, too. So I think it's so cool that you do what you do. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. Um, so obviously, you're the teacher. You're the, like, the educator, I guess, when you run these programs. But I'm curious, is there anything profound that you've learned from the students on your tours? Every time. Um, every time I, I, I travel with with students I learn it would be difficult for me to think of a specific thing but it's always along the same lines I mean I I learn I, I gain perspective and I try to understand where they're coming from especially now after COVID like things are, have changed so much but yeah it, they always give me perspective and there's always things that that they know that I didn't and and I I try to to take this away too, and this is one of the things that I think you love if you end up doing this sort of programs. Please call them programs, not tours. Tours is what agencies do, and and programs have this educational and and, and this baggage uh, and knowledge baggage component to them. You're not just showing people stuff and taking pictures of that uh but if you end up doing some things like uh, things like this you will see that it is also very very great because it is very very enriching and every time every time you do you you are exposed to great people that are, that are willing to to come to uh this sort of experiences and have things to offer okay yeah that's a good point I, it's like saying that we're tourists in Cuba versus, yeah, rather than travelers, like, okay, good to know programs is the preferred term. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So a few rapid questions as we near the end. Again, thank you so much for your time today. Um, What is your dream destination, Antonio? (laughs) The cats. (laughs) I have two very clear destinations that I had to put on hold as soon as I started with LA because that took all my time. Um, one of them is um, sailing. I discovered on my last trip that that, that was such a great place uh, and such a calm place. I mean, I, I guess the calm part has a lot of, of influence there. Um, so yeah, um, sailing in the Caribbean, there's this website called um, findacrew.net and and it's basically um, sailors and captains that are looking for each other you know people who want to learn how to sail um, and people who need a small crew and they're willing to show them and, and take them around so sailing across the Caribbean I would love to do that for one or two months oh, ideal and then the second destination would be Colombia um, I traveled for a few months in Latin America I have Colombian friends here in Granada, and they, they're they very like Cubans um, in the sense of very sparky and very lively and, and intense, uh, fiery, and I really want to wanna go there. Plus, it's it's a huge country. They have everything, and jungles and mountains and, and sea, and, and everything is just exuberant. Um, and I, I can't wait. I mean, this has been in my in my to-do list for almost five years now. 
hopefully in the next two I'll find a time because I don't want to go for two weeks. I need to be at least there for a month and a half, hopefully two or three months. I don't think that's happening though. <laughs> oh my gosh, those both sound amazing. What's the what's a very memorable meal that you've had during your travels? Um, well, one meal, poof, that's so hard to say, I guess. I mean, in, in Mexico, I, I think I gained something like 12 pounds in a couple of months. It, oh my God. I love Mexican food. <laughs> it is so good. And, and, and I had the money that time. So I would just nonstop eat and drink <laughs> juices, like fruit juices all the time and, and, and milkshake. Oh my God. I need to stop thinking about this. And Thai food too. Thailand, uh, I think it, it was really, really good. Uh, and I haven't been able to find that food, like real Thai food again after I returned from Thailand. But it was very, very, very uh, strong flavor. And there was a lot of sauce, which I really like. So yeah, those two places for sure. Mm-hmm. Top of the table. You're making me hungry. <laughs> And then lastly, what's a special place in your heart? One place that you'll always like keep returning to, or I don't know, even can probably not you live because I know you love Spain. You know, you know what is after I know, I know your response. <laughs> Viñales is it's a place. I mean, I, I have a few other places, whole bush in Mexico and, and San Jose del Pacifico in Oaxaca, Mexico too. Um, there's Utila in Honduras that I loved and, and Bukitlawan in Indonesia, but Viñales is just, it, it took my heart and, and I keep coming back. So I guess, um, yeah, there's hands down, Viñales is the place that I would return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Viñales was such a special place, I would have to agree. And I so appreciate you and Arturo taking us there. And again, um, thank you for your time today and sharing all your insight. I love listening to your wisdom because you, you've traveled so much and there's so much to learn from you. Thank you. Thank you, Lydia, for having me. And and hopefully we'll speak again soon because if we are going to to build a, a, a direct enrollment program to Cuba next year, I would like you to be in it. And if you can bring a few more people, you know, it's the first year, so we can do it with 10. Um, if we can all find it together, then next year we'll see each other. That would be amazing. I would love to help out with that. Thank you. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this episode. If you can take 10 seconds out of your day, please spread the travel love by following this podcast and giving it a rating. Or if there's anyone else in your life that has a case of wanderlust, it would mean so much if you shared this episode with them. You can find me sharing even more travel-related content on Instagram at God of Queso Wanderlust and on my personal Instagram at Lydia Schultz, double Z. I also have a travel blog for my extra passionate travelers out there, which can be found at godofquesawanderlust.com. And all of this can be found in the show notes.